getting sick of these coffee mornings, these long drives. I don't think I want. Welcome to a special edition of The Exchange, a podcast presented by Own Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is a special episode because Mark and Todd interview me, and that's all I have to say about that. And now, here they are, Mark and Todd. Welcome to The Exchange, a podcast presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. I'm your host, Mark Inman, and with me always is my good friend and co-host, Todd Mackey. Todd, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing pretty well. This is Todd Mackey, co-host of The Exchange. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Uh, hey, this is how I had to start things, and I figured Mike would appreciate it on this his episode um you know to come in high pitch like that come in high come in hot this is uh this is something (laughs) i've learned sitting next to the legendary uh not only legendary producer of the exchange by olm specialty coffee but a a journeyman in specialty coffee mr mike ferguson who we are going to interview today but he has a phone voice and I have it pretty much nailed, and I just wanted to give all of you out there a bit of a taste and just come in with the energy that I have been channeling by Mike's lead the last, I don't know, what, Mike, five to seven business days, and things are off the charts for me. I mean, the response Mike I'm is getting, coming in that high on the telephone call? Give him a call. I can't imagine his voice could go that yeah, high. There's, there's no Mickey Mouse in my phone voice. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is Mike. Come on, Mike. There's no way Mike answers a phone like that. Okay, well, I I figured I would show you my own range and uh, and start things off with a bit of a laugh. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for turning out. This is The Exchange. We have a very uh, special episode. I don't think we've officially named it. Mike has sort of been flying under the radar with this one, but I'm going to go ahead and say let's call this The Coffee Roaster and The Writer, or as I would prefer to call Mike under a superhero uh, sort of guise, the archivist. Um, yeah, because I do believe I, that's, that's a great title. That is a fitting superhero of specialty coffee name for Mike Ferguson. But, but yeah, I yeah. Mean, as always, before we get too far in um, without a, a plan to return, let's start with our classic opening segment, What is in Your Glass? What are you drinking tonight, Mark? Well, I just returned from the gym. I was I had to rush over there and rush back, so I have nothing but water right now, uh, which I know is going to be highly disappointing to you, Todd, because you're expecting me to have some fine wine or some classic cocktail, but I, I do not. I just have a simple glass of water. You don't have... I thought you had a bartender that met you for these engagements, no? There's well, he, you know, we usually record this podcast an hour from now, and... Um, and this person could not uh, get here in time okay. to set the bar up, cut the limes, you know, uh, get the uh, lemon twists ready. So no, we're going uh, going with that. Well, Mark, is this is this a water that you um, you helped develop? No, this is just <laughs> plain old tap water. <laughs> oh, there's nothing. Not even about filtered that. water that uh, that Todd likes uh, with his coffee brew. Well, cool. Mark, uh, unlike uh, the the usual uh, sessions, this one's not about you. So no, it's not. Well, it's never really about me. We know this. <laughs> so let's shift and let's let's uh, yes. hand it over to our guest of honor, who joins us always, but more subtly so. Mike Ferguson, what is in your glass, please? Uh, who who are you guys, and how did you get my phone number? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a good so one. I, I'm. I, I'm willing to bet that Todd knows what's in my glass. 
I would say you're drinking a meritous and honorous brew <laughs> local Indeed. to Rhode Island. You, you, it's, it's one of two things. It's, it's either like the, the full steam Narragansett lager or, or I'm, I'm kind of leaning. It's, it's Tuesday night here. So you've got to be drinking a blue and white Narragansett light. Am I right? See, no, I'm guessing that Ferguson is drinking uh, an absinthe or something like that <laughs> yeah. in a leather chair, like um, with, with my reading no. glasses. My <laughs> right, that's that's how I envision. Let's not ruin the fantasy <laughs> oh. here. <laughs> nice, awesome. Well, I imagine it is meritous and delicious, as it always is. It is so good. I am so infatuated with this beer. Yeah. Well, do you want to say a few words as to why? I mean, this is a good kind of uh, spirit to start thinking about. The company itself, 130 years, uh, brewing here in Rhode Island. And their original uh, chief logo was designed by Dr. Seuss. No. So what's not to like? Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they had an Indian chief because they're Mm -hmm. named after the Narragansett Indians. And the first time they did a chief logo, uh, it was Dr. Seuss. Wow. Who did it? That's crazy. You've unseated me in my standing See, as like this, a Providence man. Yeah, and this is exactly how it works. Mike has been uh, living there for about a half an hour, and he already <laughs> is the historian of Providence over Todd, who's been there he's, most of his life. He's redrawn the boundaries of all the neighborhoods I've lived in. <laughs> it's insane. I, I really... I, um, well, thank you so much for asking, Mike. I'll tell you what I'm drinking. Um, I'm having a what beer What are you drinking, Todd? Well. <laughs> And I am, uh, I'm drinking a classic, actually, one of the, the sort of classic core beers from a nearby craft brewery called Treehouse, which I've featured a couple of beers uh, from these folks prior um, in previous episodes, um, but I'm drinking a different one today. It's called Haze. It's a double IPA, and I'm just going to say, you know, I'm doing it because it's delicious, and if you know, you know. So... Um, yeah, so enjoy yours. Cheers from afar, Mike. You're in the hot seat, and uh, and here we go. On... Now, to set the stage, Todd, I wanted to, to start kick it off um, <clears throat> before you get into your thing. I just want to make it clear to the audience that we are interview- no, we are not interviewing tonight Mike Ferguson, the uh, Republican politician who serves in New Jersey's 7th <laughs> Congressional District, who was famously quoted as saying... We got to the First Baptist Church of Baton Rouge, which had been converted into a shelter for several dozen mothers and newborn infants, and I found the pastor and asked him to put me to work, and he told me to collect the trash. It's not that Mike Ferguson. This is the Mike Ferguson who has been in coffee since 1998, and who is famously known for writing these gems, uh, Holden and Gwen, The Haunted Cappuccino, The Tale of the Dark Roast, Slinger, and what is it? The Harkness? The Harkness. Uh, Harkening. The Harkening. Yeah, if I remember. Amongst many, many, many other things. So that's the. So if you're at home trying to Google Mike Ferguson, do not look at the New Jersey 7th District uh, representative. It's not him tonight. We don't really care to interview yeah, him. Thank you for the clarity, Mark. You, you brought up you're welcome. that Mike has been active in specialty coffee since 1998. Mike, I figured yes. a, a fitting way to begin would be to just ask you to rap for uh, a few minutes and give us your personal history in specialty coffee. How did you enter specialty coffee? Maybe what compelled you 
either accidental or uh, you know entirely intentional as I, I you know I, I imagine um, give us maybe a couple of the the highlights of what you feel like is is essential to know about Mike Ferguson uh, as it relates to your specialty coffee experience and, and where that brings you to today Alrighty then let's see 90s uh, when before uh, most of the people listening were born uh, I was in graduate school getting my master's in fine arts and writing and I was uh, trying to decide what I wanted to do uh, do the starving artist thing or uh, get a job and uh, I decided to get a job I wanted to stay in nonprofit work which I had a history in but I didn't want to do 501c3 um, I was interested in international trade especially Coffee Association of America had an opening for a marketing uh, director and I applied and spent two hours in an interview with Ted Lingle and got the job and that that was it I mean I just absolutely I fell in love first with the people uh, in coffee and I used to say I'm not a coffee person I'm a coffee people person and because of my job at SEA was really uh, dealing with people I've never been, you know, physically involved with the coffee. Um, I've always been on the marketing side. Uh, after, let's see, nine years at SCAA, uh, I moved on. I did a short stint up in Seattle with a roaster up there. Uh, Famously a... known as Zoka Roasters. <laughs> I think that's And, and it, it was, was the midst. Right, let's not gloss over this, Mike. These are highlights <laughs> here. Uh, <clears throat> so let's just... Let's just Put the brakes on the truck for a second. So let's talk about Zoka. This was at an interesting time in the history oh, man. of Zoka, uh, where they were trying to build a dream team, uh, and you were one of those people. It was you. Uh, Tracy Allen was another one. Mm -hmm. um, Trish Rothgeb, mm -hmm. uh, who is now at Wrecking Ball, and uh, Chris Davidson was famously there at that mm -hmm. time. So he was amassing some talent, and you were you happened to get swept up in that. What what caused that transition from SCAA to Zoco, or what interested you in that company? Was it just the hype of them at the time, or this dream team development, or what? Well, I was I was itching to get into a roastery. I mean, after um, mm. after working at SCA, which I loved, but it's you're not really you're not really you know in coffee. You're in the association industry. So uh, Ted Lingo was was retiring. And it was just a good, it was just a good time to transition. Um, Ted was, mm -hmm. you know, Ted was a mentor uh, on in many ways uh, to me. So when he was moving on, it just felt like a natural break, and to try and get out there, and get involved, you know, actually in the coffee industry. Then went to work uh, with our friend Rob Steven at Coffee Solutions. Right. Where Todd has worked, uh, worked yeah, as well. Yeah, my, my alma mater as well. Yeah, Todd, you, Rob, all three of which are at Olam now, which is interesting. And did that for a while and also uh, started my own consulting, Fresh Ground Consulting, um, which did pretty good. Ended up consulting for SCAA for several years. Let's see. From there, uh, moved on to Batdorf and Bronson. So moved out to Atlanta. Uh, was with Batdorf and Bronson for six years. And then, uh, and then went back to consulting for a few years. Uh, Olam ended up being one of my clients, and eventually, um, I just I became a member of the team, full time employee. Let's talk. Uh, you know, you had a a pretty. I mean, by all accounts, and and I was not involved in the association at the time where you were on staff. So it's interesting to me because I've heard these folkloric 
kind of tales of your role and and you eventually became chief of staff by title yeah yeah when i left i was chief of staff because i was around during that time obviously as uh, mike knows i used to come visit him quite a bit when i was on the board and um what was interesting about you uh, there's two people in the industry that if you have the most bizarre weird question about coffee it's either you or Peter Giuliano seems to know the answer to that question. Just instinctively, you know it. You've read it somewhere. You have a book on it. And you were, a, you know, your office was like a, a museum. You were a huge collector of coffee ephemera, um, <laughs> as I seem to remember. Yes. Um, and you wrote a lot through the SCAA and in your own uh, consulting businesses about the history of coffee, <clears throat> the history of players in coffee going back quite a few years to the turn of the century. Yeah. And I'm curious as to, um, from your perspective that you've you know seen looking backwards and also looking forward and really being you know integral at the SCAA, um, what trends have you seen throughout throughout the history of coffee, not just your career? that you feel, I, I can't believe that that trend hasn't come back around, or I'm surprised that that trend has come back around, or this should never have come <laughs> back around. Well, the thing that's always surprises me in studying coffee history is what we are experiencing now in specialty co coffee and have mm -hmm. been experiencing in specialty coffee for the last 20, 30 years is right. really a return to how coffee was a hundred years ago, a hundred years mm -hmm. ago plus, you know, where there, where there was a roaster, not only in every neighborhood, but every street. And we see that happening. Well, we've seen it. It's been happening for a while now. I, 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 I love that. And I'm, I would guess knowing you kind of where the answer to this question follow up might go, but do you find that to be inspiring or almost like a downer? Like, do you see that as, that coffee is not quintessentially in this time creative and new? Or do you see that as like there is a foundation and it's sturdy and that this sort of this return to the beginning is actually a super positive and a, a super, you know, instructive and, and sort of positive. It's force, I it's I think it's positive. I mean, because I, I think it's positive for me that that we've been here before. Um, on everything from from price crisis to how retail is done uh, to how many roasters there are in any given town, you know we've we've been here before, and I think we can learn from uh, the journey. You know, we we don't. I mean, even to we're seeing consolidation like we did in the past, um, but I think we can learn from it, and we don't have to repeat some of the more negative things that happened uh, along the way. Um, the consolidation of coffee after World War II, you know, was not great. Um, uh, once all those big players had no way to compete with each other other than just price and became loss leaders, um, the quality just didn't matter. It, it was incidental. It wasn't even incidental. Um, so I think we can learn from that. And the the thing that I always come back to is is there's, there's always new niches and there's always new opportunities. And especially from what, where I sit now at the desk, I sit now, it seems like there's so many roasters. I mean, I, one of the things I do at Olam is onboard new roasters, uh, as accounts and every day, I mean, every single day 
uh, we we have new roasters coming in as accounts. It just seems like at some point, how do we, how can that, how is that sustainable? When do we hit the point where there's too many? And so, but looking back, uh, I see that there, you know, that point is still far away um, because until every street has a roaster, I don't think we have to worry about it. Now that's a different, you know, the, the guys that are out there that want to take over the world. Yeah. I think that, that, that's not going to happen. Um, so if you're not looking to, uh, start a company and grow it to the point where you can sell it and retire rich. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that model anymore. So, so coffee's going back to really what it was back at the turn of the century, which was a true trade and in, in a craft and not really a, um, dot com ish type business model that you can get rich quick on. Yeah, I, I that's just the way I see it. I mean, and, you know, of course yeah. the there there's dot com versions of how coffee was a hundred years ago. Um, there's mm-hmm. lots of roasters who are making their living, you know, just selling coffee online. Um, now I don't think there's a lot of those folks that are, you know, buying mansions. There, I think that they're taking care of what they need to take care of. Um, and I don't think that you get into that. Well, I'm sure people do get into that business model thinking they want to get rich, but I don't think most people do. I think it's a sort of a lifestyle decision. Well, let's shift gears then. Um, I've got one that I'm, I'm sure you could, uh, get on with here is I would be curious, you know, for someone with such a, a colorful and, uh, you know, interesting career played a number of roles, both, you know, for the industry as an advocate and, and, you know, with the association, multiple marketing roles at different roasting companies now in the, in the green trade. Um, you know, what, if you had to define a simple why you chose specialty coffee early on and, and relate that to the, the why you would stay now, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, give us a sense of what that sort of galvanizing, uh, logic is for you and, and why it keeps you in the game? I think it's because of the people. The people who decide to get into coffee are interesting, generally. They're interesting people, and they're passionate about what they do. Um, and they're they're not boring. <laughs> and I, so I found, I would say that the thing that drew me at first and the thing that's kept me for over 20 years alongside the coffee itself because I of course I love coffee and you know I'll never know everything there is to know about coffee and the history fascinates me but beyond that the people in this industry just fascinate me and I think the people who choose to be for whatever reason the people for some reason are just endlessly fascinating to me uh so you know that never a dull moment uh is really important to me that, that's awesome. I, mean, I can totally relate. I, I feel like, you know, you've had multiple folks that you've cited as either mentors or, you know, points of, of human inspiration in your experience. Um, I would love to hear, and I'm sure it would be really cool for our, our listeners to hear if, if you had to just, you know, give us two uh, coffee professionals that you feel like are complete cornerstones of you know modern day specialty you know whether they came early on in your experience they've been throughout or or they're more modern in terms of their involvement 
Um, but give us two that you feel like everyone listening to this should know about and, and why. Well, uh, that's, that's a tough one. Of course, I've already mentioned Ted Lingle. Um, it's just the things about Ted that fascinated me and that I, everything, it was his, not only his knowledge of coffee, his knowledge, he, Ted introduced me to the study of coffee history. He was as fascinated by the history of coffee as I was. The difference was he had lived a bunch more of it and his family had lived a bunch of it. I mean, there's things that we can talk about um, or that one can talk about in coffee history that Lingo Brothers Coffee, you know, went through. They And they were one of the companies that survived all that consolidation. They talk about coffee shrinking down to the big three um, in the 50s after the Second World War um, and all the way through until, you know, till Starbucks and, uh, and Pete's. But uh, Lingo Brothers is one of those small local or regional roasters that survived that and um and ted was part of that company but the things that happened as he was growing up and the things that he understood from his father um were just i mean there's nothing like talking to somebody who is only one uh, one place removed from that stuff um so it was the history um but his his deep passion for the industry um, there were multiple times, and both Ted and I were are sort of uh, emotional uh, guys, and there were times when we were sitting, I'm sitting across from Ted at his desk, and we're both just staring at each other, and the thing that we're trying to do is not cry in front of each other. And this hmm. is just we're talking, and this is because we're talking about inspirational moments in the in the uh, in the industry, or we're talking about something that someone did that was selfless. Um, in some way, uh, and they were doing it for the industry. Um, so that meant a lot to me that he was that uh, vulnerable um, uh, with me. And I know that not everyone had those experiences with Ted, but that was mine. Um, and then the second one, uh, 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 much different, and uh, and who's already been spoken about in this podcast is Paul Katzeff. Um, Paul and I had, you know, well, I think everybody and Mark, can attest this you know nobody has an even keel relationship with paul <laughs> um there were there were times where when he was president of the association and i was on staff where i had to shut my office door so you know people didn't have to listen to the yelling match <laughs> that was happening on the phone with me and paul um but you know those times were definitely balanced um by times of, of insight and sharing the history and deep intellect um, and, you know, and a different type of passion. Um, it came from, I think, a different sort of place, but it was definitely there. Um, and the last time I saw Paul was uh, at Coffee Fest in Los Angeles a couple years ago. And he came to the Olam party. And there was a, a roaster there, just a, just a young guy who, you know, rented time on a, on a roaster, very you know, uh, committed to what he was doing, and he was uh, fascinated by everything to do with coffee. Um, he saw Paul, and he knew who Paul was, and they started a conversation. And they sat at a table at the Olin party for hours. Um, and Paul was giving this guy, you know, the master's degree in, in industry insight, and it was all usable material. You know, that, that kind of... Uh, 
that kind of learning is not easy to come by. That firsthand, I've been there, you know, I got the scabs to prove it and the calluses. And uh, so here's a few insights. Um, so those would be the two that come to mind right now. And uh, just off the top of your head, if you had to guess how many <clears throat> coffee-related articles, stories, um, pieces that you have put out since 1998, I mean, it's got to be in the hundreds. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know if hundreds, uh, I'd put it, you know, if, if by hundreds it's over at 100, I'd probably, probably. Um, you know, I was editor of the newsletter and I was mm-hmm. at, at SCA and I was pretty much like 90% of the writing staff. Um, so it was partly just desperate writing all the time that I just had to get it out and I had to have content, which is extremely valuable. Uh, when we're done with this podcast, we'll, I'll go back into a schedule where I'm writing a, a blog for Olam almost every week. Um, and I really like that. That uh, So I guess it would be hundreds because it's over 100 just for Olam at this point. Sure. So, yeah, uh, and I think, that I you know, it, yeah. being a writer and, you know, you were you had written a novel and um, I, I, I always viewed the amount of work that you put out in coffee was more of, you know, like somebody who's staying in condition as an athlete just to keep your brain moving in that direction, as well as it probably was an intellectual exercise for you to keep learning more about coffee, which seemed to genuinely interest you, um, which is interesting because... Most people, I, 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 what fascinates me about you and has always fascinated me about you is most people in coffee, you know, Paul Katzev is, you know, one guy like that who's also very interested in a lot about coffee, but he's coming from it as a roaster and somebody who values himself as a craftsperson. And there's people that, you know, baristas like James Hoffman who writes and blogs and, you know, but he's coming from it as a perspective of somebody who started as a, a, a barista and you you're purely in it for the story and for mm-hmm. the for the history you don't you know you've never jumped into roasting you've never jumped into being a barista um you know or a trader or none of that stuff has ever interested you and you can tell by your writing that you're fascinated by people who do that stuff but you're more interested in the history of this industry and it just with all the stuff that you seem to be interested in outside of coffee which is quite a bit it, it there are very few people like you that are in this industry that are in it purely for the story and purely for uh, documenting uh, how this industry has progressed. And and what drives you? What has kept you? What has kept your interest after all these years in that? Yeah, it, I'm, I, I definitely approach it as a fan. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm a fan of coffee, um, and and I I like all. I mean, I I, I love cupping coffee at Olam. Um, I never, you know, wanted to step in front of a roaster cause I, I'm too, uh, you know, daydream. I mean, it'd just be fire after fire. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the industry and it is exactly what you say. It's because the stories are so good. Um, you know, coffee itself. I mean, just the story of coffee is one of the most fascinating stories that, that I, out there. I mean, there's, there's how it came to, to be what it is now and the improbabilities uh, of it. it. It's just, you know, and so I, obviously I'm someone who likes a story and coffee's a great story and there's great stories mm-hmm. in coffee. So it's, 
that in and of itself, the story of coffee keeps me fascinated and I've never felt uh, tempted to be, you know, I've always been on the, on, on the, the story side of coffee. And what brought you, moving forward a little bit here, what brought you or what at least piqued your interest in deciding to shift gears from writing? I mean, you're still writing. It's not like you left that. But shift into producing a podcast, which you admittedly had never done before, uh, and then working with two characters like Todd and I, what <laughs> what made you want to do that? <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, thank, thankfully you've stuck it out with us. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, I guess more of what was the impetus to do this with us? Um, what has it been like, honestly, I mean, you feel free to let it fly working with us for two years now. Uh, well, okay. So you, you too, uh, Mm -hmm. were interested in doing a a podcast and and at the same time, Olam was looking to have a podcast. So there you go. Um, and I was, you know, I was in a content seat, so it was a, a natural for me to be asked if I was interested. It scared the crap out of me, so I said yes. Um, Good. Because, uh, I mean, I, the editing process, I, everything about doing what I do for this podcast, I love doing. Um, and I would have never guessed that. I mean, I loved the editing process, and I and I never would have guessed that because when I was a kid, I could not like I, I could not build model cars or model airplanes mm-hmm. because I did not have the patience to to work at that level of detail for yeah. that long. So I was worried about that, but I love it. I absolutely love editing, um, and so that was a huge surprise. So I, I I I love everything about it, and I like I like planning. Um, I like being, you know, acting in the role of a director producer. Um, and I, I really like the model that we've set up. Um, I think that, you know, there's a few things I'm pretty committed to, uh, with the podcast. Uh, one is that you guys don't have to worry about production. Um, when I look around at podcasts that fail, um, I think the reason that they fail or they just not necessarily fail, but just stop is because the people who are, you know, you've got a one-man show or, or a one-person mm-hmm. show where they're they're doing the recording, they're doing the editing, they're doing the scheduling, they're doing everything. The person who's behind the mic is doing everything on the other end of the mic. So pretty committed to the fact that you guys just need to be the, you know, loosely, you know, we use the term talent. Oh, I don't use it loosely. I, I quite literally, I have a, a, a thing on my desk here just says talent. Uh, that I have. It's yeah. like a light. You turn it on when the recording starts, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we take care of everything else, and you guys just need to worry about the, the on-air part. And I think that, that I mean, that's what's going to keep any of us from getting burnt out. Yeah. Um, is that you don't have to worry about the editing. You don't have to worry about the mics. Even though both of you had, we went into this, you both had much more experience than me uh, with any of this stuff. Um, Mark had done podcasts before. Uh, Todd was familiar with all aspects of recording, and so it's been. It, it was, you know, uh, we've learned uh, learned a lot. Our first episode we recorded live uh, on Skype, which w- was not great, um, and that was all because that was all because I could not imagine having to sync two separate recordings together. It turned out it was. Well, not I remember the original when we had to clap on the count of three, and we couldn't even yeah. do that. 
<laughs> yeah, that whole thing, they, and that, and that's the difference between book learning and real life, right? Because that's what yeah, I read yeah. you were supposed to do. Um, <laughs> and we've had definitely challenges. When I moved to Rhode Island, I lost my home studio. Um, so we've had some sound quality uh, issues, but we're getting, you know, we're back on track. And then we tried yeah. recording with three people in the same room. That And we'd Oof. never done that before, and now we no. know. <laughs> right, you right. Know, we've got three people here, but we're all in three separate places. So and yeah, so I'm looking forward to continuing to in, improve uh, the quality. There are things like when I I, I overproduced you guys at first. Um, I did a lot more editing than I do now. I think that was a mistake, but I had to do that to learn that it was better just to let you guys have your rhythms, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, and be more natural. I didn't need to worry so much about uh, about that. So now, if I'm you know, the editing's a lot looser, but you guys sound I think more not like yourselves yeah not chopped up into segments and bumper music and yeah, all that stuff. yeah 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 <laughs> and then now, the other I mean, thing it, oh go ahead I, I was just gonna say and then I, I love the music it's uh picking the music oh, is, yeah. is a blast um and and now it's become a huge challenge because you know for two seasons now we've had songs that are either have coffee in the title or related to coffee or an aspect of coffee um, and I keep thinking I'm going to, one day I'm going to go online and look for some music and that's going to be it. I'm done. I found all, all right. the coffee music there is, but it seems like it's like the toothpaste, you know, there's always, uh, <laughs> there's always enough for another brush. Yeah. Yes. So I like that at some point, it seems like I, I'll have to run out, but then I, you know, I have, I have got a bunch of backup plans, but so far there's always a song. <laughs> so somebody somewhere in their garage is recording some crazy song about coffee and putting it online so well yeah and the coffee related music is is definitely a ferguson touch it's uh it's a signature i never would have gone down that road and it's again you're you like to reach back into history and find the the interesting things that people don't necessarily uh think about a lot uh i think the other touch that is very ferguson is the postscript which is probably my favorite part of each episode (laughs) which i listen to and so and i could tell by the way you do it that that's a great source of fun for you like you're looking for the real juicy you know mess (laughs) up or weird comment you know what clips have have you found that just or what is it what makes a clip that's worthy of you putting that at the end of the episode it's almost always the postscript um, which was sort of came out of uh, during the off season. I put together uh, uh, cutting room floor, right. which was just a bunch of stuff uh, that didn't make it in for various reasons um, into the show. The but the postscript is almost always stuff you guys say when we're not on the air. So, you know, in air quotes. When we're hanging um, out, we hang out yeah. before for about ten fifteen minutes before we start recording. You know, there's usually something in there, um, or it's uh, or it's something where there was uh, a mess up, like you know, you lost your train of thought, like I did, you know, five or six times during this show, mm-hmm. um, or something like that. Um, but that's that. Yeah, that's fun. I when I when I first start editing, I pull out all the stuff that wasn't a part of the on air segment, and I I label it Mark's floor and Todd's floor <laughs> for cutting room floor. And, and who produces more? In those boxes, if you had Careful. two boxes in your garage, Careful. who's who's overflowing? 
I'm sorry. Can you ask that question a different way? It, 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 if you Mark had two, Mark is trying to win here. That's that's no, what no, 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 no. No, I'm just curious. It, it could be me. It could be Todd. Because when we are talking prior to, we're just bantering. I mean, it could be anything. But, uh, but it's not so much about what you and I think we're saying. It's what grabs Ferguson's attention. Because certain there, there's a certain continuity with his cutting room floor, the postscripts there, he, there's things that trigger in his brain. I haven't <laughs> quite figured out like if I tried to like manufacture quotes that I think, okay, Ferguson's going to latch onto this. I would have no clue. You'd to what never he's be able for. to do it. It's, it's no. complete authenticity. And, and this right. brings me to what I have to say as we sort of move into our close here is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mike, you bring such a quality and such an authenticity to what we're doing here. I am just humbled and inspired all the time. And it's, a, it's such an awesome pleasure to have your voice, uh, you know, in a, in a more full and live way as part of the show for this episode. Um, so I really appreciate you doing this. I, I feel like even when, you know, you're more a, a fingerprints with no fingers sort of player, if you will, um, you know, producing us like you're still like woven throughout. And um, and so much of that is exactly that. You just have this curiosity and this interest in bringing this thing as far as it can possibly go. I feel like when there have been times we've hit walls, we've had technical issues, we've had challenges, we've not known exactly where to take the programming and the overarching, you know, kind of way that it all fit. You showed up 10 times over. Um, and so, you know, on behalf of Mark and I, but also, you know, all of our listeners who have given us, you know, uh, criticism and, and positive feedback and have stayed with us. And, and uh, you know, even those who are, you know, this might be their first episode. I just want to thank you um, because I, I really this is without a doubt one of the very best things I get to do at Olam Specialty Coffee. And I just oh, absolutely would not imagine it to be a shred the same without you. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's uh, this the three of us. I think it's uh, this has been the best part of at least in the past few years of, of coming to work every day is putting this together, being a part of this. If this were a full time job, I would gladly take it here. It's mm -hmm. um, it is a blast to do this with you. And I can't imagine somebody else producing this. I mean, you're you're you take what Todd and I, you know, yammer on about and turn it into something halfway uh, entertaining is uh, is a miracle. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. No, I really appreciate it. They said some very nice things, and uh, and the check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Walk us out, Mark. All right. Well, thanks a lot again for tuning in. For uh, my co-host, Todd Mackey, our producer and director, Mike Ferguson, and myself, Mark Inman, we wish you a good evening. You've been listening to a special edition of The Exchange, presented by Owen Specialty Coffee. Hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. Directed by Mike, still drawing a blank, Ferguson. Our opening theme was Coffee Morning by Caleb Coburn. Our closing theme, Coffee with Milk and Dog by Jazzeria. Thanks for listening. And now, your postscript. Yeah, this is, this, this is a pause that I will be editing out. Yeah, have I ever said anything that you, <laughs> you think I should put into this spot?